0: Good morning church. Today's Bible reading is from Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 9. This is about the birth of Cain and Abel and the results of thereof. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to her brother Abel. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching on at your doorstep. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Thus far the reading of God's word.
1: Good morning, church. How do you spot a good person at a grocery store without talking to them? I know you guys, your minds are racing right now because there's so many ways that you can measure that, right? We have so many ways that you measure that. But according to the internet, one way of spotting that good person at the grocery store is through their shopping carts. Do you guys agree? So I saw this. Um, article one day on the internet from Delish.com that argues what you do with your shopping cart when you're done with it says a lot about you. You may agree with this, you may not agree with this, but according to this article, and it was summarized in many, you know, many uh, social media posts from different people, and one of them, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show it to you, summarizes pretty much what the article is talking about. It says the only way to truly know a person's character, and I'm pretty sure there's some jest included in that, is to secretly follow them to the grocery store and watch what they do with the cart when they're done. So apparently the idea is this, that generally, and I think many of us will agree on this, that the right thing to do is to return your cart when you're done with it to the designated shopping cart collection area. But here, according to the article, though, here is what makes this shopping cart test a good test of inner goodness of a person, because they're saying that there's no law or rule that forces you to do that, to return your cart to the appropriate area. In other words, if you just finish your shopping and you just throw your shop or leave your shopping cart wherever you want to leave it, there's no real consequences to you. So that makes it a really good gauge because you are going to return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your own heart, knowing that it actually helps many people when you do that. Okay, so we have our own individual indicators or measures of goodness. Some of them are reliable. Maybe some of them are not so reliable. So you be the judge of this uh, shopping cart test but here today we have we are currently in our um, sermon series called one another relationships and we learned that god tells us that the core at the very core of our relationships with one another is love so the question is how do we measure the quality of our relationships with one another how can you tell that you, we really love each other deeply. What indicator do we use for that? So this morning, I propose that we ask ourselves this one question to help us measure that. And this question is, am I my brother's keeper? That's also the title of our sermon, this of our lesson this morning. Am I my brother's keeper? This is a very popular quote from scripture. And we heard uh, Eric... Uh, read that to us this morning in Genesis chapter four, in the first nine verses. Uh, this is in verse nine, Genesis four verse, uh, Genesis one verse nine. Am I my brother's keeper? So the story is that uh, in this particular biblical account, we see the first instance of the Bible talking about the first brothers in Scripture, Cain and Abel. And in the story, we see that Cain kills his own brother. Abel, in what appears to be out of jealousy. And then God comes to uh, Cain and asks him, where is your brother Abel? And in verse 9, this is what he answers. God, very indignantly, he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? So this morning, I pray that the answer this question for ourselves would be a yes, because evidence is plenty in Scripture that tells us that we are responsible for looking out for one another, for for watching out for each other's well-being and interests. We see that in Scripture, and we're going to tackle that today. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what it really means to be my brother's keeper. And then we're going to talk about what happens to our congregation, to our church family, when we really care for one another deeply. And then we're going to talk about what it takes for us to really do this in our congregation, to, to make it a part of our culture that we care deeply for one another. And we're going to do all this by looking at one Bible verse. Well, focusing on one Bible verse. We're going to look at many Bible verses today, but we're going to focus our attention on answering those things using this Bible verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Because we are going to see that being my brother's keeper is summarized in this one particular verse. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So, Being my brother's keeper means considering one another. When we say considering one another, it's important for us to look at the other instances where this word appears in Scripture. For example, in the book of Hebrews, this word is is used twice. One here, Hebrews 10 verse 24, and another time in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. And in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, when you see this particular word, You will understand exactly what it means or you will have a good idea on what it means. In Hebrews 3 verse 1 it says, consider Jesus. So if you dig deep and understand what this word means in the original language, it means to to pay particular attention to, to observe and notice intentionally, with intentionality, and to contemplate. So in the original language, this word means that the, the, the attention that we pay towards that person is intense and is deliberate, that results in thorough understanding of that person, who they are and what their needs are. That is what it means to consider one another and therefore to be my brother's keeper. is to not just... Notice that people are around me. You know, that's one thing to see, oh, there's people here. But there's another thing to go right into it, deliberately, intentionally thinking that, hey, I need to get to know the people that are around me. I need to consider them intentionally. I need to get to know them I need to pay particular attention to them. Granted, this is not something that we can do for everybody in the church, because Jesus himself did not do that for the people around him. He did that in varying degrees, because he's, he was, when he was here, he was also just a person. We are only people. We can't do this for everybody in the world, everybody in the church. But we do it in varying degrees, depending on the need of the person, and depending on how close we are to that individual but the fact is if we do this all if we do this as a congregation then the idea is there's nobody left left behind that we are in groups we are in these small groups like Jesus was he was in the 12 and he was also inside his close group in the 12 with Peter James and uh, Peter James and John if we do that for each other today man i'm telling you God's uh, God's design for this church, for his church, um, is going to be materialized, is going to be realized. So what being my brother's keeper is not, though, is this. Okay? Because sometimes when we say, you know, when I flash that thing up top there and say, well, are you your brother's keeper? Some of us are probably going, no, I'm not. And I think the reason is because being my brother's keeper is not being responsible for the actions of the other person. Being my brother's keeper is not, you know, nagging at the other person so that they don't do anything wrong or or following them around everywhere so that we can save them from the, from the things that they do or from the consequences of the things that they do. Another thing that... Um, Being my brother's keeper is not, is making decisions for other people. It's not controlling the other person. It's not bailing them out when something bad happens because of their poor decisions. It's not like that. So to give it more of a concrete example, let's go to Galatians. We saw this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about carrying each other's burdens. Okay, that's being, when we carry each other's burdens, that's being my brother's keeper. That's considering one another because I, we understand what each other needs. But pay attention to this. In Galatians 6 verse 2, the Apostle Paul tells us, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That word burdens is this word in the Greek that means a really heavy burden. Most often borne by more than one person. There are many things in our lives that we cannot bear ourselves. There are many things in our lives that we can't do ourselves. Like, for example, consider this worship service that we're on right now. Who put this on today? Not one person. Many people did. You are here. Even if the people are here to put this together, if you're not here today, or if you're not here watching online, there's no, there's no point. We are all in this together. We do this together. But we have to remember that when we become our brother's keeper, we look after our, our well-being. We look after each other's well-being. We watch out for one another. We care for one another. But we have to be careful when we do that. Okay? Because in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5... Just a few verses after this, the Apostle Paul also says this. Each one should carry their own load. Do you see that? But it's interesting because the Apostle Paul used different words for burdens and load. In Galatians 6 verse 5, the word used as load is something that's personal. Something that we have to carry on our own. Because God has given each of us our work in his kingdom our part in the congregation, our part in the church. That is something that we are responsible for ourselves. Our spiritual growth in Christ, that's something that we do as well uh, and responsible for ourselves. Although many people help us do that, that is something that we are responsible to really pay attention to ourselves as well, first and foremost. So we have to be careful when we say, well, I am my brother's keeper, that we don't take care of each other, but then enable bad behavior, enable dependency that's not healthy. Okay, that is what we want to do. And it's clear in scripture that we, that we do that. So in scripture, it's so clear that the evidence points towards us being there for each other, considering one another, being our brother's keeper or sister's keeper, if you will. In 1 John four twenty to 21 we read, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Let that sink in. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And look at verse 21. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Okay? And I just want to make it clear. Let's go to another verse. The Bible speaks so strongly about this. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I was studying this and I was preparing for this. And I was going, does, does the Bible actually tell us to be our brother's keeper? And then I read this. And then I thought, no, not really. Because the Bible goes over and above being my brother's keeper. He says, we need to lay down our lives for one another. Not just watch over each other or care for one another. That we do it so much so that we will be willing to die for each other. What amazing words from our Lord. Now, what happens when we really get into the work and task of considering one another? According to the passage today in Hebrews 10 verse 24, what happens Is we stir up love and good works. Do you guys see that? When we consider each other, when we pay particular attention to one another, when we look after each other, the the other person's interests before I look after mine, what happens is we make love and good works an essential part of our culture in our church family. Love and good works. How does that happen? How do we make that part of our, of our church family when we consider one another? Well, we serve one another when we stir up good works. Okay, look at this particular verse. Galatians 5.13 For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. One of the things that we don't want to say, well, I don't want to say yes to the question, am I my brother's keeper? Because we think that doing that is a burden. Oh, I have so much other things to do. I'm not going to do that for other people. Let them do that for themselves. And another thing that prevents us from saying yes to that question is, you know what, that takes away my freedom. Now I'm not free to do whatever I want to do. Now I am at this person's beck and call. That's just not true. According to this, we need to use our freedom to serve one another. That is the best use of our freedom. The freedom that we get from Jesus enables us to serve other people. What an amazing concept. You know, I I mentioned this to you, I think, a couple of weeks ago. The best way that I explain this to myself and make this clear in my mind and the way that I explain this to people is through obstacle courses. In the Army, we used to do a lot of obstacle courses. I actually miss it. (laughs) We would do it in teams, obstacle courses, and there's a lot of mud there's a lot of like, there's a lot of water, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of dirt. I loved it, but one of the things that, uh, uh, that one of the things that make obstacle courses really hard for teams is when they involve this guy. The team will have to drag a 150 pound plus dummy with them. Around the obstacles, across the obstacles, over and above the obstacles, and that dummy has to finish the obstacle with a group. I used to hate that. But one of the things that our staff officers told me that really made it easy for me to drag that thing around, that made it, that, that made it so that it frames a very important and crucial part of service for myself is that, you know, the person told me, don't look at this guy, this dummy, as a burden. Don't look at this dummy as just dead weight. Instead, look at this dummy as a person who really needs your help. Because they broke their leg. Or maybe they got shot. Or maybe they just couldn't, for some reason, make it from this point to that point. And that point over there is safety. So you need to carry this person with you. Because you need to save their life. That is what being my brother's keeper is all about. Realizing that all of us have needs that sometimes we cannot take care of our own. It's not a burden. We do it out of love. We serve one another out of love. Okay? Now, another thing that helps is the golden rule. Do you guys remember the golden rule? That's it right here in front of you. Luke six thirty one. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I was thinking, why is it called the golden rule? And I looked it up a while back. And I realized that this is not something that Jesus made up. Did you guys realize that? This has been around for centuries before Jesus even said it. Do you guys notice that? For at least 600 years, according to scholars. And then he quotes it in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, right? But look at the iterations of the golden rule in the past, okay? I want you guys to see the difference between the golden rule from Jesus and these other golden rules, okay? So this one is from Egypt in 664 BC. I'm not sure if you guys can read that because it's in small font, but I'm going to read it to you. In Egypt, one of the things that the scholars found was on a papyrus that said, that which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. Okay, And then, uh, uh, next, in Greece, the philosopher Thales, in 624 BC, wrote, Avoid doing what you would blame others for doing. See that? And then in India, in the Mahabharata, which is dated 400 BC, One should never do something to others that one would regard as an injury to one's own self. You guys seeing a pattern? Okay, if not... There's more, okay? There's two more. In Persia, which is modern-day Iran, Zoroaster in 300 BC wrote, whatever is disagreeable to yourself, do not do unto others. And then finally, in India, in the Tamil tradition, 100 BC, 100 years before Jesus came to earth, do not do to others what you know has hurt yourself. Do you guys see the difference? Between the 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 previous iterations of the golden rule to Jesus' golden rule. Do you see the difference? It's a difference that is significant. Because the difference is about forming it in the positive. That's the golden rule of Jesus, and forming it in the negative. Because if we form it in the negative, we will not want to be our brother's keeper. Because we will say to ourselves, For myself, I don't want to talk to people. So I don't want people to talk to me. So what I'm going to do is I am not going to talk to other people. Do you see that? That is the silver rule, which is not the golden rule. That is the negative form of the golden rule. I can do the silver rule in the comfort of my basement. Without ever going out of my house. And I can say hand on heart that I've done it. I have not done what I don't want others to do to me. But love is something different, right? Love is, it's not what you don't want to do. It's about what you need to do. It's about the right thing to do. It's about actively pursuing what's best for the other person. So who cares if I am... If I am um, um, introverted, who cares if that is my default personality is, I don't really want to hang out with anyone. It could be, but we have to re- I have to remember that my basic personality, my initial personality is not a prison. It is a starting point. It doesn't preclude me from considering my brothers and sisters in Christ, in order to stir up love and good works. So we need to pay attention to that, that we frame it in the positive, do to others as you would have them do to you, not the other way around. Because we can justify our inaction if we frame it in the negative. Do not do unto others what you do not want others to do unto you. Okay? Okay. Now, love. We stir up love when we consider one another. What does that look like in real life? What does that look like in practical terms? When our congregation, when love is being stirred up in a congregation, in a church family, in our own homes, what happens? Well, what happens is this there's deep meaningful relationships relationships are at the very core christian relationships at the very core is love you can't separate those two things where there's one you will also find the other if one is not present and the other one is not really sufficient or existent Deep, meaningful relationships happen when we stir up love and good works as we consider one another. Now, what does that look like? It looks like this. Okay, It looks like a relationship that is serving and loving. How exactly? Well, this relationship is going to be transparent. There's going to be openness in this relationship. In this relationship, I can tell you, oh, Miles, you know what? Your idea is way better than my idea. Thank you for saying that. We can be transparent like that. Have you been in a workplace where you can't actually say that? Because when you say that, it means that, well, you're weak and this person is strong. Or it means that this person is getting promoted and not you because you admitted that their work Their idea is better than your idea. Deep, meaningful relationships are transparent like that. They're open like that. Now, it's also with honesty. We can tell each other what we're struggling with. We can tell each other that, hey, you know what? I am struggling with this particular sin. And I cannot seem to get over it. We are honest And transparent and open enough to ask each other for help. And there's also this trust that when we say to each other that, hey, I am struggling with this, we trust each other enough that they will look at us and they will not condescend on us, that they will not gossip about us, that they will not look at us differently because of what we just offered and told them. Instead, there's going to be empathy in that relationship. That we are going to say, you know what? I understand, but I can help you with that. I can carry that burden with you. You can tell me everything. And when that happens, there's also forgiveness. That we will forgive them. We will have this heart that does not judge harshly. Instead, we are forgiving to them, knowing that that could also happen to us, knowing that we are also not perfect. But instead, when somebody opens up to us, we look at that as not a burden, but as a privilege, because this person trusts us so much that they are are wanting us to be involved in that crucial and important part of their life. And also, what that looks like in deep, meaningful relationship is that there's accountability. Okay. There's a difference. But when we say accountability, a culture of accountability, a lot of times people go to what's not, what it's not. When we say accountability, people, people think about the word blame. Instead of a culture of accountability, people think about a blame culture. It's not a blame culture when we talk about accountability. Blame culture, you know, you know what a blame culture is when you see it? You're gonna hear words like, oh, that's not my problem. That's somebody else's responsibility. That's not my job. Talk to them. That's a blame culture. You know what else is a blame culture? Is when somebody says, who did that? Why did you do that? Well, it's, it's not my problem. It's, you know, it's your, pro- it's always the other person's problem because it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with me. I don't care about that. That doesn't concern me. Deal with it. A relationship with their accountability looks like this. Okay? Um, you know, I'm just looking at Chad right now. Like, Chad, uh, what do you do, uh, what do, you do with you, to, to strengthen your relationship with your wife, Kim? And they say, oh, well, we pray together. Oh, I don't know how to pray. Can you teach me how to do that? And then Chad gives me tasks to be able to pray with my wife. And then the next week, there's where the accountability happens. Chad comes up to me and Kim and say, "Hey, Jay, how's, how's the, your prayer life with your wife going?" That's accountability right there. Positive accountability. If you do not make yourself accountable to anyone, you can come to this congregation every Sunday morning, listen to, to sermons. Listen to Bible studies and you go, oh, amen, brother. That's a very good sermon. Amen, brother. I appreciate what you said on that. You drive home and nothing changes. You know why? Because you're not accountable to anyone. Nobody knows if you're doing what you just heard. Nobody knows if you're struggling with what you just heard. Or if you're sharing that with what with the people around you. Nobody knows. Because we are not accountable in a deep, meaningful relationship with anyone. When we stir up love and good works, this is what happens. We grow. Because discipleship happens in the context of relationships. That is where it effectively happens. Now, how do we do this? I'm almost done. Okay? How do we do this? How do we really do this? Now we need to live this out. We need to live this out. That's the only way. I wanna, I'm going to make an analogy here so we understand better how, how we really make this a part of our life. You guys know about Filipinos, right? I'm Filipino, born and raised there. You guys know that we love rice. Like I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but Filipinos love rice. Now what I want to do, it's te- I, g- I want to give you a hint on why Filip- uh, rice is such a central part of a Filipino's life—not just diet, but life. Okay? I'm going to teach you some Filipino words today. Okay? You guys okay with this? Okay? Some culture added into this lesson, right? Okay. Here you go. So, um, rice, rice. The word for rice in Filipino—the the cooked rice, right—is this word. Kanin. Can you guys say that with me? One, two, three. Kanin. Okay? That's, what, that's, that's how you say it. It's rice. Now, it's going to become so obvious now that rice is at the center of every Filipino's personality and identity. Okay? Look at that word kanin. What's the middle word there? It's the letter N, right? Take that middle word out. What would it be? Can you guys say it? Kain. Ka-in. One, two, three. Kain, Right? Th- like that. Ka-in. You know what that word is? That word means in Filipino, eat or to eat. That is why when Filipinos sit down and we're eating and there's no rice, we're eating a hamburger and fries. That's not a meal. That's a snack. After the hamburger meal, there's going to be a rice meal after that. Do you guys understand now? You guys see this? Now look at this. Take the word kain, put a prefix in there. It becomes pag ka'in. Can you say that? One, two, three. Pag kain. Right? You know what that means? It means food. <laughs> food is from the word rice. Okay, you oh, I'm not I'm not I'm not really I'm not really convinced yet. The last word here is gonna convince you. Because for some, the last word is, you start, sometimes you go out, and some people start with this, okay? Look at the word uh, kanin, the, the first one, the word for rice. Um, repeat the first syllable of the word, what do you have? Kakanin, right? Like this, kakanin. Can you say that? One, two, three, kakanin. There you go. You know what that means? I rest my case. <laughs> Filipino desserts are rice-based. We love rice. Now, when, when Filipinos say that, when I say that, you guys understand why, right? Now, let's, let's, let's use that analogy to really understand how we create that, you know, brother's keeper culture in our family in our church family all of us doing this for ourselves we need to put on that love we need to speak love we need to say that as for me as a christian as a disciple of christ love is life jesus tells us this in john 13:34 to 35 a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Filipinos are known for their food, in particular, as I just mentioned to you today, for their rice. Christians, what are they supposed to be known for? For their programs? For their church building? For the fact that they're right on their doctrines? Those are good things. But the church, the disciples of God, Christians need to be known first and foremost for their love. And again, I'm not making that up. It's right in front of you, right there. God gave us that command. He says, everybody should know you by your love. Okay, so I know I said that I'm done, but I'm, after this last one, I'm done. Because I just want to give you guys... A real positive example of what this looks like in a person. And I'm going to use the example of Joseph. Do you guys remember Joseph from the Bible? I want to see nods. Nods. Okay. But not the one from the Old Testament. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The Joseph in the New Testament. I want to see nods. Do you guys know? The sorry is nodding. Okay. The Joseph in the New Testament. Do you guys know that there's a Joseph in the New Testament? I don't know. I'll give you a clue. This Joseph sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the, at the apostles' feet. Does that ring a bell? It rings a bell? Okay. For some it rings a bell. But don't spoil it for people who don't know yet, okay? Another clue. This Joseph is a Levite from Cyprus. Yes? You guys, you guys. See not you guys know? You guys know? Okay, okay, okay. Another hint. This is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 36 to 37. Not, no, not yet. Don't go there. Don't spoil it for yourselves. Okay, this last clue, you're going to be like, oh my goodness. That's that guy? It's this guy. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Joseph was so filled with the love of God for other people that the disciples thought it was appropriate to give him a nickname. You don't look like a Joseph. You're definitely a Barnabas because you are so encouraging. You sold the field that you owned and you gave it to the church because you wanted to be your brother's keeper. You wanted to be responsible for looking out for the well-being and welfare and benefit of the people around you. What a guy. I encourage all of us today. To do the same thing. God has given us that. He has given us that opportunity and that ability. Because he lives in us. Let us be willing to tell the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, demonstrate your fruit in me. Love, joy, peace, patience. We need that when we deal with people, right? And the many other blessings that the Holy Spirit gives to us. Our song of invitation today is called A Common Love. A common love. We want to make love something that really binds us together. You know, many of us here, we don't have any relatives here. Biological relatives in Winnipeg. But I'm going to tell you, I am closer to you than any of my biological relatives and i'm related to them by blood i love them but i'm closer to you because it is this common love in christ that we share together so when we think about being my brother's keeper our brother's keeper i pray that you will say yes to this question and that as we do so we will consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Thank you for your, listen, for, for your attention.